Shalom. This morning, we are going to continue in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And we are coming to the very end of chapter 14. There are altogether 16 chapters in the book of Mark. And today, we are going to talk about chapter 14. Now, from chapter 11 to chapter 16, Mark records the final days of Jesus on earth. And today, as we look into chapter 14, we are going to talk about the longest chapter in the book of Mark. It is the longest chapter detailing the uh, total abandonment of Jesus. And in this chapter, we see that Jesus, the Son of God, completely human, totally vulnerable and utterly abandoned by those who are closest to Him. Now, there are five parts in chapter 14. Part 1 is verses 1 to 11. It talks about the devotion and the, of the unnamed woman. Part 2 is verses 12 to 17. It describes the preparation for the Passover meal. And part 3 is verses 18 to 31. And it talks about the Lord's Supper, Peter's declaration of his allegiance to Jesus. And part 4 is verses 32 to 42, the sin of Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed together with three of his closest disciples. And part 5 is verses 43 to 52. And it talks about the Lord's betrayal and arrest. Now, in this chapter, we get to know the irrational display of the devotion of an unnamed woman. And we get to see the insidious, evil uh, treachery of Judas. Now, as you read this chapter, try to feel the infinite anguish of our Lord Jesus when he prayed alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. And try to sense the intense drama of the Lord's betrayal. Try to put yourself in a situation and walk in the Lord's indescribable journey of abandonment. Now, today, even though it is the longest passage, the longest chapter in the book of Mark, I only have two points for this entire message. First, a scandalous devotion. When we look at an, an unnamed woman's act in anointing Jesus with a very expensive perfume, but instead it is seen as a waste as it is poured out onto Jesus. Second, a scandalous sacrifice. Where we look at Jesus' ultimate act of sacrifice to redeem those whom he came to save. But ironically, the one who came to save are the one who betrayed him, are the one who abandoned him, the one who murdered him and put him on the cross. So, let's get into the word of God today. First, a scandalous devotion. Now, according to the uh, Guinness World uh, Guinness Book of Record, the most expensive perfume commercially available is Christian's Clive No. 1 Imperial Majesty. Now, ladies, especially, want to guess how much does this perfume cost? Come on, let's come up with a figure in your mind right now. How much does this world's most expensive commercial perfume cost? What's your guess? Now, this perfume was priced at $57,000 US dollar 
per bottle of 100 milliliter. In conversion, it's about 240,000 ringgit Malaysia. Now, that's about four times the average yearly salary of those who work in Klang Valley. Now, think about this. Who would spend this kind of money on a bottle of nice-smelling liquid? What kind of body even deserves such a perfume? Well, such a perfume does exist in Jesus' time. Look, let's look at the passage and see what happened. Now, we are going to look at the first part of the book of Mark chapter 14. And this part is found in verses 1 to 11. And these 11 verses of the Bible is what the scholar call as a sandwich narrative. Meaning that the main passage is sandwiched in between the top and the bottom of verses 1 to 11. Verses 1 to 2 is the top part. Verses 10 to 11 is the bottom part. And verses 4 to 9 is the filling, is the main crust of the verse, sorry, of the entire passage. So the reason Mark wrote it in this way, it is to, it is to bring out the drastic contrast in the story, in the narrative, in the narrative that he's trying to tell. So let's read the top and the bottom of this passage. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 2. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days ahead. And the chief priest and the teacher of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they say, or the people may riot. And then, in verses 10 to 11, it reads, Then Judas is correct. One of the twelve went to the chief priests and betrayed Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So, he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, church, I want you to take note of the first two categories of the people that we are we have read here. Now, the first category that we have just read, the chief priest, the teacher of the law or the scribes, and Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot one of the twelve disciples. Now, the chief priest, the teacher of the law, and Judas, they were scheming to betray Jesus and to hand him to the authority to be murdered. This because Jesus has been teaching the truth about the Bible, about the Torah, and pointing out the error, the hypocrisy, and the emptiness of religiosity of the priests and the scribes. And furthermore, Jesus went into the temple, overturning the, temp the, the table, and driving out the merchants, the money changer, and rebuked the temple system. So, they lost face, they lost influence, and also, they lost big business. And they believed that Jesus were rebelling against the Lord of Moses. So, they need to stand firm. They need to be the guardian of the Lord of Moses and to eliminate the threat to the law, even if it means to shed innocent blood. But they could not arrest Jesus during the Passover festival because it may cause riot because there are many who follow Jesus. And so, the chief priest and the teacher of the law, they were scheming for an opportunity to arrest and kill Jesus secretly. And Jesus, uh, sorry, and Judas went to them, agreeing to betray Jesus. So, as you read this, 
It is an act of betrayal, treason, and premeditated murder of the most devious and deceitful kind. Compare this first category of people, the chief priests, the scribes, and Judas, to the second category of people that we are about to read, the unnamed woman. Mark chapter 14, verses 4 to 9. And it says this, While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now this is the main crust of the sandwich narrative. Now this highlight is to hi this, this highlight it is to highlight the heart and the action of the unnamed women's devotion to Jesus. Now Jesus was in Bethany. It was a small town about five kilometers away from the temple of Jerusalem. Now he was probably attending a feast as he was reclining with quite a number of people having meals together. And out of nowhere, the unnamed woman came to Jesus with a very expensive perfume poured onto Jesus. Now as you read these verses, there are at least three layers of contrast that I would like you to take note of. Number one, insider versus outsider. The town of Bethany, which the devotion took place, it is outside of Jerusalem. But the place where the devious plot was hatched to betray Jesus, it was in Jerusalem, the city of God. The home where the devotion took place was just a house of a common person called Simon the leper. But the place where the treachery was contracted, it was either on the temple ground or at the house of the chief priest, the man of God. The woman was unnamed, an unknown statue person, just an ordinary woman. But Judas, he was one of the twelve. One of the twelve. And he was the key person behind the betrayal of the Son of God. And the chief priest, he was having the highest authority, religious authority in the ruling council of the day. They were representative of God's people at the temple, the chief priests. And they were supposed to teach holiness. They were supposed to teach godliness to the people. And that's the first contrast. Insider versus outsider. Secondly, appearances. Now here, the woman cross social boundary by going into men's gathering. In social norm of the day, only women who are serving can attend to the table. 
So this unnamed woman disregarded the judgment and ridicule of the day and came to the men's social gathering to anoint Jesus. But those in the room, they ridiculed her for frivolously wasting a perfect expensive perfume on Jesus. Because it could have been sold for a lot of money and helped the poor. But the unnamed woman gave her best a very expensive perfume worth more than a year's wages. But it was also believed that the perfume may be the woman's family heirloom since women at Jesus' time do not have their own career or their money. So she broke the alabaster jar. She broke it completely to anoint Jesus with the perfume. That means she gave up any possibility of reusing the jar or saving it for later use for herself. She spilled the oil on Jesus. But most importantly, she spilled her heart of devotion to Christ. She gave all that she has for Jesus. Now, in contrast, Jesus betrayed, uh, sorry, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's about a price of a slave during Jesus' time. The woman approached Jesus with a silent but a loud act of devotion to anoint Jesus and to prophetically prepare Jesus for his burial. But Judas, with a sinister word, Rabbi, and a kiss on his cheek, betrayed Jesus. The second contrast, appearance. The third contrast, knowing Jesus. Now, despite the numerous mentions by Jesus to teach and to warn about his impending death and departure, no one, not even his disciples, took note and understood what Jesus was teaching and what was happening. Even during the Last Supper, when Jesus pointing, pointed it out so clearly that one of them would betray him, the disciples did nothing. They were clearly still in the dark even after a lengthy upper room discourse by Jesus teaching about what he's going to get, uh, what he's going to go through in his arrest, betrayal, death, and resurrection. Now contrast that with the woman, a simple, ordinary woman, a follower of Jesus, but she understood the teaching of Jesus and she did what the other disciples did not do. She broke the alabaster jar and poured the perfume onto Jesus. Jesus knew her act of devotion and accepted the woman's anointing preparation for his burial. Now, that was no ordinary perfume oil. It was the most expensive oil. When she anointed Jesus, the fragrance would have filled the entire house and the aroma would have stayed with Jesus for days to come. But many of those who were present rebuked her harshly, rebuked her harshly, saying that it was a waste. To them, it was a waste to pour such an expensive perfume onto Jesus. The perfume could have fetched a far greater price to help the poor and the needy. And during the uh, festival, the Passover festival, it is customary to bring a willing offering to the temple treasury. 
The unnamed woman could have done that. But while many others saw that it was a waste, Jesus saw that it was a devotion. Now, Jesus has always taught that we must help the poor. And yes, we do. And we need to help and take care of the foreigners, the widow and the orphan. And Jesus himself often modeled and often uh, show us the generosity about caring for the foreigners, the widow and the poor. But on this occasion, it was an act of devotion to Jesus, a prophetic act of preparing him for his burial. And Jesus commanded the unnamed woman to use the expensive perfume on himself instead of helping the poor. So with her gesture, the woman proclaimed that Jesus worth it all, worthy of a whole life being poured out. Jesus worth it all. Church, turn to the person next to you and say, is Jesus worth it all? Type into the live chat box and say, is Jesus worth it all? Worthy of all her devotion, worthy of all our devotion, even though it was seen as a scandalous devotion outwardly. Now, similarly, Jesus also commanded that the poor widow, that everything she gave in the temple treasury, although that widow, she only gave two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, we read this about a few weeks ago in chapter 12. Now, if you missed this uh, sermon preached by Pastor Jesley, you can go to the YouTube channel, watch it again, or you can go to Spotify to hear the audio sermon. All our messages, it is in the YouTube channel and also in Spotify. Now, coming back to these two women, the unnamed woman and the poor widow. Now, why do you think Jesus commanded both of them? Want to make a guess again? You see, Jesus commanded them because he saw the value of the heart. Not just the value of what they brought to Jesus. Jesus saw their heart. Every gift to God, it is worthy when we give out of our devotion. Be it two very small copper coins, be it the most expensive perfume, it's worth it all when we give out of our devotion. You see, church, before we had our church, current church building, we had a smaller church building. And I remember when we wanted to rebuild our church building, we asked our members to give. And I remember hearing the testimony of our members giving to the church building project. Many of them gave. And some of them, they gave their whole life saving. You know Chinese? We always have saving for our old days, for our own funeral. Some gave all. And even some would go around the, the, the neighborhood asking people, begging people, and says, would you contribute? Would you give to the rebuilding of the church? Isn't that scandalous? Christian going around asking people for money? But many believers contributed. Many did their best effort to contribute to the church building project. Why do you think they do so? Is, what's the benefit for them? Is it because of fame, glory, glamour? I believe they did it out of their love for the church and for Jesus. 
Now, five years ago, as we refurbished both our, of our halls, Solomon Hall and Sanctuary Hall, we also challenged our members to give. And I remember many gave. They gave hundreds, thousands. And I remember particularly, there are someone who approached pastor and says, Pastor, I don't have much. I only have 10 ringgit. Can I give? Absolutely. Be it hundreds, thousands, or even 10 ringgit. It matters to God when we give out of a heart of devotion. I believe God looks at our heart. Now about three years ago, in one of our youth camp, we taught them about giving and about devotion to God. And in the youth camp, we challenged the young people there and then as they learn about giving to the Lord to give, to give a pledge, to give an offering. And we started a collection. Many gave out of what they have in the camp. It was not much, but it was a lesson. It was an inspiration and encouragement for the young people to learn to give, even though they are limited in many sense. And I remember one of the youth coming to us, asking, can I give this pack of biscuit? That's all that I have. You think Jesus would accept it? Now church, what do you think? What do you think? Now giving is not just confined to finance. Giving time and effort is also an act of devotion to God. Every week, without fail, the worship team, the peer team, the media team, the 101, the usher team, they will come early to church to practice, to plan, and also to serve. And after the service, they were the last to go. Even after everyone is gone, they will still stay back. During the pandemic, the worship team will even continue to do recording at home, giving their time, effort, even buying their own equipment, trying their best, even though they do not know. But they still do home recording. Why? To serve God, out of their devotion to God. Many children church teachers, even though that they do not know what to do, how to do, they struggle through. But they did home recording, week after week, for the children online service out of their devotion to God. And also, many small group leaders, even though that they have their own struggles, their own uh, trouble at home during the time of pandemic, but yet they still continue to care for the shepherd, for the sheep. They still continue to care for the members of their small group. Why would they do so? Because of their devotion to God and the love to God's people. You see, church, it's not the value of the money, but it's the heart that God is looking at. It's not the size of what we give. It's the size of heart that Jesus is looking at. The act of giving of both the unnamed woman and the poor widow at the temple, it was scandalous. How could you waste a nice, exquisite, expensive perfume on Jesus where you can use it for the poor? How can you come to Jesus with only two cents? Now, many people will see it as offensive, disgraceful. But today, let me ask you, 
as we give unto the Lord, do we give because it is a religious activity? It is just a habit? Or do we give out of devotion? Jesus saw, Jesus knew, and Jesus honored both the unnamed woman and the poor widow because he sees the heart of devotion. But to many, it was a scandalous devotion. Now, to point number two, a scandalous sacrifice. It had been three days since Jesus first entered into the city of Jerusalem, and it was two days before the Passover festival of the Jews. Now, the Passover festival, it is a very important and significant festival to the Jews because not only it remembers the redemption of God in the land of Egypt, it also celebrates the birth of a nation, the nation of Israel. 1,500 years ago, in the land of Egypt, God passed over the house of those who smear the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorposts and redeem every firstborn of the household. Yet, at the same time, God took away the life of the very firstborn of those who did not sacrifice the lamb and smear the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorposts. And many Egyptians' firstborn's life were taken away. Now, that's the origin story of the Passover, where God passed over every home with the blood of a sacrificial lamb smeared at the doorpost. It is an act of redemption. And for thereon, God commanded that the Jew to remember this from generation to generation as they celebrate Passover again and again and to rehearse this story every time that they have the celebration. So every Passover it is a great time of celebration. It's a time of sacrifice from the Jew in Israel as they come together to the Holy Temple. And the story of the Passover and God's faithfulness, it will be passed on from generation to generation and it will have been told and retold again and again whenever the Passover is celebrated. Once they were in captives, but now they are free. Once they are lost, but now they are safe. Once they were a slave, but now they were a nation. You see, Jesus remembered the very first Passover in the land of Egypt because he was there as well. He was with God the Father. And I believe that Jesus could see the awe and the attitude of the Israelites when they saw the act of God passing through redeeming the firstborn. Now, the astonishment and the face expression that they have, I believe that they were so amazed at the power of God to save them, to redeem them, as they obeyed the commandment of God to sacrifice the lamb and to smear the blood on the doorpost. But now, 1,500 years later, during the time of Jesus, just two more days to the great festival of the Passover, the unthinkable is about to happen. Jesus himself will become the sacrificial lamb for the ultimate Passover for all mankind. Anyone who receives Jesus into their life, his blood, Jesus' blood, will cover them in their heart. And as we read in verses 1 to 11, it may be very scandalous 
Because people would ask, why would that happen? But the rest of the verses of this chapter, it is about a scandalous sacrifice. The scandal of the Son of God being the sacrifice on the cross. As you read the rest of this passage, of this chapter, there's another sandwich format that I want you to be aware of. Verses 18 to 31 is another sandwich narrative. Where verses 22 to 26, it is the cross, the main point, the feeling. It is known as the Lord's Supper. Let's read the main cross of this sandwich passage. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they have sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now church, this is a very familiar passage because we will always recite and read from this passage when we partake of the Holy Communion every month. And when Jesus says, this is my body, he does not mean his literal physical body. We are not consuming his physical flesh. Instead, he meant his person, his whole being, his whole self. We partake and we take on the person and the image and the character of Jesus. That's what it means. And thereafter, Jesus took the cup, declared that it is the blood of covenant, which is poured out for many. So when we drink of this cup, it represents the blood of Jesus. And again, we are not drinking physical blood of Jesus. It meant that we are partaking in the blood that Christ gave, which is life, eternal life. Now for the Jews, they believe that life resides in the blood. As long as you have blood, you are living. And as you lose your blood, you die. So, when we partake of the cup that represents the blood of Jesus, it signifies that we take on the life and the very essence of Christ into our own lives. So, when Jesus broke the bread and the cup for his disciples, telling them to eat and drink it, Jesus is telling them that he is giving all of himself completely as a sacrificial lamb. And in doing so, Jesus instituted a new kind of Passover where the emphasis is no longer on the act of sacrificial lamb and smearing of the blood on the doorpost, but the emphasis is now on Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, that he gave himself totally, completely, unreservedly to be the ultimate sacrifice lamb once and for all, for every human and to redeem the sin of all humanity, not just the Jew. And this redemption is not just about what God has done for the Jew 3,500 years ago in the land of Egypt. This redemption was about Jesus on the cross redeeming us, our sin, past, present and future for all people, for the righteous and the wicked, for the good and the bad, 
for those, regardless of your background, your skin color, regardless of what you have done, and regardless of what you're going to do, Jesus sacrificed himself for you. Tell the person next to you, to you Jesus sacrificed himself for you. Now, this is the crust of the sandwich narrative in verses 22 to 26. It tells us about a new Passover sacrifice, new lamb, the lamb of God. Now, before it, verses 18 to 21, it was a story of Judas betraying Jesus. And after it, in verses 27 to 31, it was a story of the disciples abandoning Jesus. Now, through this sandwich narrative, the author, Mark, is telling us that Jesus is God's covenantal faithfulness personified in the person of Christ. That God is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And yet, this last Passover meal of Jesus with his disciple, it was bracketed by descriptions of betrayal and abandonment. How many of you you want such a last meal of your life. Now, I presume that many of you, you would want a happy, warm, memorable last meal before you die, right? But this is not the case for Jesus. Instead of having a momentous, memorable last meal, it became a, 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 a scandalous sacrifice. When Jesus said that one of them is going to betray him in verse 19, the disciple all had confidence and says, surely it's not me. And when Jesus says that one of them will, be, will, will disown him, they all says, even though if I were to die with you, I will not disown you. But yet, this chapter shows us how easily Judas agreed to betray Jesus and how rapidly the disciple abandoned Jesus when he was arrested in time of trouble. Can you see the contrast and the irony here? Jesus, the Son of God, being murdered by those whom he came to save. Jesus, the Son of Man, is being betrayed and abandoned by one of his disciples, being disowned by another. And yet, he came to be sacrificed for them. Church, don't miss this important message of the gospel. They all drink and ate from the bread and the cup. They all follow Jesus. They all pledge their allegiance to Christ. And against Jesus' prediction, they all failed. Judas fled out of greed as he sold out Jesus. The disciples fled out of weaknesses when Peter, James and John could not even stay up one hour as Jesus prayed agonizingly in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of the disciples fled out of fear when the Roman soldiers came and arrested Jesus. Peter fled out of cowardice when he blatantly denied Jesus three times as predicted by Jesus the night before. What a scandalous sacrifice that Jesus had to endure. Imagine the turmoil of emotion that Jesus had to go through. The unnamed woman's act, sacrificing her costly, exquisite perfume, was a scandalous act to men, but not to God. 
Because no matter how expensive the perfume costs, it is pale and finite in comparison to the infinite, eternal, majestic worth of an infinite, eternal, majestic God. But Jesus, as a sacrifice on the cross, it was scandalous because the Son of God, the darling of heaven, came willingly to earth, leaving all his glory in heaven, gave himself up as the ultimate sacrifice, paying the ultimate price for us, for the one whom he created, for the one that he loved. But ironically, the one that he came to save was the one who betrayed him, denied him, and murdered him. Jesus came to sacrifice himself, not for the worthy, but for the unworthy. Not for the brave, but the coward. Not for the sinless, but for the sinful. Not for the whole, but for the broken. Jürgen Moltmann, a German Reformed theologian, wrote this. When God becomes man in Jesus of Nazareth, he not only enters into the finitude of man, but in his death on the cross also enters into the situation of man's God-forsakenness. In Jesus, he does not die the natural death of a finite being, but the violent death of the criminal on the cross, the death of complete abandonment by God. The suffering in the passion of Jesus is abandonment, rejection by God, his Father. God does not become a religion so that man participates in him by corresponding religious thoughts and feelings. God does not become a law so that man participate in him through obedience to a law. God does not become an ideal so that man achieves community with him through constant striving. He humbles himself and takes upon himself the eternal of the godless and the gods forsaken so that all the godless and the God-forsaken can experience communion with Him. Wow! What a writing! That's the sandwich passage of the Lord's Supper. A scandalous sacrifice of God Himself that He would die for us. And that's the best for you and for me that God has offered church. Now, church, Right now, let me ask you to put on your sanctified imagination. Imagine the act of the unnamed woman kneeling by Jesus' side, gently pouring the expensive perfume onto Jesus. Imagine the aroma of smell if you were there in the room with Jesus. Try to smell that beautiful scent, filling the entire house lingering in your nose. The most exquisite aroma of perfume that you have ever smelled in your entire life. Jesus was anointed with this perfume from head to toe, feeling his hair, his beard, his entire body. This may be the aroma that had accompanied Jesus during his betrayal, abandonment, when he was denied, ridiculed, alone, spat, beaten, 
and hung on the cross. During Jesus' loneliest struggle, Jesus' time of pain, this aroma may be his only soothing company. Because this aroma from the alabaster jar speaks of a devotion of this unnamed woman to her, to him, sorry. It speaks of worship. It speaks of sacrifice. And uh, as I end this message this morning, allow me to speak to two groups of people. First, to those of us who are believers of Jesus Christ, who have been following Jesus for years and years, I have a question for you to ponder. God gave His best to us completely unreservedly. God gave His one and only Son, Jesus, and Jesus gave His life for us on the cross. What is your response to Him today? What is your alabaster job? What is the most precious to you today? And what aroma can you bring to Jesus in your alabaster jar? Is that aroma, is an aroma of prayer, of worship, of service, of sacrifice, of devotion? Do we even have our best for our Lord Jesus? And also, what would Jesus smell if you bring him your alabaster jar? Will you take time to really ponder about that? And the second category of people, for those who have never put their faith in Jesus, as you are watching this, let me invite you to make a decision today. You may have heard about Jesus many times. You may be considering about Him. You may want to find more about Him. But today, let's ponder about this question. What kind of God will sacrifice himself so that you and I can have eternal life? What kind of God would give you hope and a future and a promise of eternal life? As you hear this message, can I humbly submit to you that God is Jesus. That he sacrificed himself for you so that you can overcome death, you can overcome sin and you will have eternal life. Because Jesus is God Almighty. He's not just the kind of God who is almighty and far above and does not care. He's also our Father in heaven. He cares about us. He loves us so, so much. Just like a father, an earthly father, who would love his child regardless of how mischievous the child is, that's our Father in heaven. Parents will always love his children because the Father's love is always the best. That's our Father in heaven. He created us. He loved us unconditionally. And today, I hope that as you hear this message, that you will consider putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. And how can you do that? Very simple. First, acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a saviour. Second, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross to redeem us from our sin. And third, confess that Jesus is Lord in your life and commit yourself to Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to follow Him all the day of your life. And if you are willing to make this decision, 
Can I invite you to make a simple prayer together with me? And you just repeat after me. Let's bow our head together. Dear Jesus, thank you for your love for me. I admit that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. I believe that you died on a cross for my sin and rose again. I confess you as Lord and I invite you into my heart. I decide to put my faith in you and follow you today. Amen. Now, if you have made that prayer, let me congratulate you because you have made the most single most important decision of your life. And if you have made that prayer, do let us know by scanning the QR code at the end of this service so that we can journey with you in your new life in the Lord. Alternately, you can tell a friend, a Christian friend, that you have made that prayer and that Christian friend will also help you in your walk with God. And if you want to know more about Christ, do contact us, do join us for Alpha Online so that we will journey with you in your discovery about God, about prayer, about meaning of life, about loving God, serving Him. And also for the member of First Assembly right now, this is a good opportunity to witness for our friends and family members, to really let them know how much God loves them, invite them for Alpha Online. And as I conclude, today's message. Let's respond to God's word as I invite the worship team to come and lead us into a time of worship to really sing this song and as we sing this song, let us come into a time of worship of prayer and really think about the word of God that we have just heard. Let's sing this song in worship together. Thank you. 
Amen. Alabaster jar, giving all that we have to Christ. As you've heard this message, if you have sung this song, if you have made this prayer, let's come to the Lord in response. Right now, let me ask you, church, how is your devotion to our Lord? How is the condition of your heart? We have been worshipping from home for many months now. We have not been seeing each other in church. It's easy to really get lazy, to be indifferent. But this morning's message, I hope that it will encourage your heart once again to reignite that passion, to come back before God with your alabaster jar, to give your best devotion to the Lord, regardless of the size, regardless of how much it worth. God is looking at our heart. So what's the condition of your heart this morning? Church, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's just close our eye, bow our head and raise our hand as a sign of worship and surrender. And let's pray. Father Lord, this alabaster jar that we have, it represents all that we have. It represents our best. It represents the most precious of us. And today, once again, we want to examine our heart, search our soul, O Lord, as we come before you. And I ask, Father God, for those who are watching this, that you will speak to them, and I believe that you have already spoken to them. This message right now, Father God, that it has touched their heart. And as they respond to your word, Holy Spirit, do that work of renewal. Touch them once again. Rain down your presence on them. And once again strengthen them for those who are struggling and give new strength for those, Father Lord, who wants breakthrough, O God. And I believe, O Lord, as we come before you, that you will hear our prayer. Hear our prayer, Father God. And for those of you, you are crying out to God right now. Just here I am, O Lord. Take me worthy, Father Lord. Are you worthy? Are you? And this is our prayer, Father God. Touch us. Yes, touch us. God is touching you right now, church. Right now. Yes, Holy Spirit, move. As you raise your hand, God is touching you. If you need that healing power, God is touching you. If you need that strength, God is giving you. If you need that help, God is sending it to you. If you need that encouragement, inspiration, the Holy Spirit is lifting you up right now. Yes. Oh, shandala basukure alabasidi, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, God. Father, Lord, as we come before you once again, we offer our best, total, complete devotion unto you. Even during these 40 days of prayer and fasting, we are going to seek your face. We are going to repent. We are going, Father, Lord, to turn away from evil ways, our weakness, and we are going to return turn to you even though we are worshipping from home Father God this is our devotion unto you O God because you are worthy because it is our devotion to you we are your disciple we follow you all the days of our life O God whole life discipleship O Lord whole life discipleship right now touch us O God yes we give our best to you as a sweet aroma of worship unto you, O God. Thank you, O Lord. All this we ask, all this we ask in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone says, and everyone says, Amen, Amen. Church, 
let's continue to believe that all that we have heard, all our responses to God this morning, as we participate actively, as we respond to God in spirit and in truth, that something great is going to happen, that God is going to deepen our faith, our relationship with Him. And church, let's continue to stay safe during this pandemic. Let's continue to connect with one another in fellowship with one another. Let's continue to gather together for prayer. Let's continue to encourage one another. And all the day and all the more that we will see God's glory being manifested in our home, our lives, our study, our work, our marriage, our health, and also in a nation. Amen? Amen? Yes, church. I hope that you're blessed. I hope that the Word of God have challenged you this morning. Let's continue to look to God in the 40 days prayer and fasting and let's believe that there is going to be great testimony at the end of this 40 days of prayer and intercession. God bless all of you. See all of you next Sunday. Music